0: We don't tend to talk about death enough. It's obviously a very sensitive subject with great emotion attached to every story that is told. And so we're naturally very careful about when and how we discuss it. It's clothed in euphemisms like passing away or no longer with us, which not only allow us to avoid using blunt sounding words like dead, but also hint at the big questions that we have about what death actually means. What happens afterwards? Do we go anywhere? Should we fear it or should we look forward to it? And for many, these questions are as uncomfortable to discuss as the event itself. And most of the time, mortality is kind of ignored as an inconvenient constant that doesn't really deserve any more attention than we're forced to give it. But during the COVID-19 pandemic, death has refused to quietly sit presently in the corner while we make polite conversation. Like some kind of drunk uncle at a family gathering, death has loudly made its presence felt in very uncomfortable ways. And during this first and second wave, as hospitals struggle to cope with the surge in patients needing critical care, the news cycle could hardly fail to mention the daily number of people dying of this horrible disease. To date, 152,606 people in the UK have died and had COVID-19 mentioned on their death certificate and sadly that number will continue to rise. And that's just one disease. People are dying every single day of other causes, some natural, some sudden and shocking. It's a truism to say death comes to us all, and yet despite this being something that every single human being on the planet has in common, it's still not something that we choose to spend much time talking about. And what that means is that we're each left with questions eating away on the inside of us, questions like what happens when I die, Is heaven real? Is hell real? Now I appreciate that many who are listening today will have recently been bereaved and others are still struggling with the loss of a loved one that took place many years ago. That's how grief works. There's no statute of limitations on grief. Some might think that a series of talks on death and the afterlife during a pandemic is insensitive, but my response is simply to point out the fact that people are going to experience grief and loss, whether we talk about it or not but at least we may be able to bring some comfort uh, to those who are wrestling internally with questions or emotions that don't find an easy place to come out in everyday social interactions. You know, pretending it isn't happening isn't helpful to anyone. Bottling up grief and loss is extremely unhealthy for us, and yet there seem to be very limited situations in which it seems socially acceptable to let that grief out. We want to help. But I do need to manage your expectations a bit in case you think that I'm finally going to reveal in great detail what exactly you can expect to happen when you die. Now, having not died yet, I can only tell you what's been passed on to me by the disciples of the only person I know to have come back from the dead after three days in the grave. You know, the minute details are a bit sketchy, if I'm honest, but the good news is that thanks to Jesus, the big picture is actually pretty clear. And there's a lesson in there for all of us, really. You see, humans crave the security of certainty, definite statements, black and white answers without any ambiguity. We tend to fear the unknown and so we want to conclusively explain things and avoid the tension of contrasting possibilities. However, some things just aren't that simple, especially matters related to faith, God and the afterlife. And if God exists and is genuinely the creator of everything around us. We have to accept and expect that a person of that level of intelligence and power is always gonna be quite mysterious to us. And his thoughts and his plans are gonna confuse us from time to time. And if you're a Christian, how you respond when there's more than one opinion or way of viewing things is critical. It's a critical measure of your faith and its maturity. You see, mature Christians can distinguish between what they really need to be certain about to call themselves a Christian and secondary issues that we don't all need to agree on immature Christians get angry with people who hold opposing views to them it's always been this way listen to what the Apostle Paul said about this Paul was one of the early disciples of Jesus and the founder of numerous churches in the earliest days of Christianity many of the books in in the New Testament part of the Bible were actually written by him including the book of Romans in which the passage that we're looking at today is found So I want to read that to you from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. This is what Paul says. He says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant stands or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And here's here's where it begins to get really interesting, because he says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, straight off the bat, as we read this story, Paul mentions a couple of things that Christians have argued with each other about for centuries. Is it okay to eat meat? Particularly if some of it has been dedicated to other gods in a sacred ceremony of an alternate religion. Or should we all be vegetarians anyway, since meat requires us to kill animals? Is Saturday the real Sabbath, or is it Sunday, or should every day be treated as equally holy? Now, if you're not a Christian, you probably think these are really weird things to argue about. And you'd be right. But sometimes Christians get very passionate about particular ideas or traditions because of their desire to please God. We're human. We fight about stuff that matters to us. It's not good, but it's, it's normal. You wanna know some other things that Christians argue about? Well, just hang around church for long enough and you'll probably hear some arguments about which charities we should be supporting, which version of the Bible is the most accurate, who should be labeled as a false teacher, whether or not women should be allowed to be ministers, Which songs should we be singing and what the end times will be like and so on and so forth. Paul calls these kinds of questions disputable matters because believe it or not, it is okay for us to have different views on some of these issues. You know, as church ministers, we tend to refer to these kinds of issues as issues of secondary theological importance because although they affect people's lives and their ongoing relationship with God and with others, These are not the key issues that determines a person's eternal destiny. And this is really important to understand, folks, because getting this wrong results in relationship relationship damages that could have eternal consequences. Let me give you an example. If someone comes to church for the very first time in their life as an adult, and they are told by someone that unless they stop drinking alcohol, they will never go to heaven. That's false teaching. They have been lied to and told that what happens after they die is dependent on how well they lived their life. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not the Christian gospel because it suggests that we are judged by our works and not by our faith in the work of Jesus on our behalf. If that person goes away thinking they have to behave before they belong, they might give up on faith. Because it's far too difficult for us to meet all of the requirements of the Bible's laws. But Christianity says that Jesus met them on our behalf so our failings could be forgiven. You know, if someone tells you that you're destined for hell because you haven't been baptized, that's false teaching. It's not the Christian gospel because it suggests that we are judged according to our religious observance rather than by placing our faith in Jesus as our savior. You know, maybe some people listening to this talk today have been misled by others into thinking that we have to somehow earn our way into God's good books by living according to all the rules and the regulations that we find in the Bible. Maybe you've given up trying, but somewhere in your heart, you still fear that one day you might be sent to hell for not doing something that you found impossible to do. And if that's you today, I want to make it absolutely clear that according to the teachings of Christianity, God accepts us on the basis of our faith in Jesus, who he is and what he has done to save us, not on the basis of anything that we have been able to do to please him. When we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, God accepts us, flawed as we are, and he begins to transform us to become more like Jesus. That is the good news. And that's why paul wrote to christians in rome to tell them to stop judging one another and quarreling and instead to start accepting one another as brothers and sisters and fellow servants of jesus christ the point that paul is trying to make is that our eternal destiny is determined not by our actions but by the judgment of god concerning the actions of jesus christ on our behalf god judges us on the basis of our faith in him on our relationship with Jesus Christ, who Paul said died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Folks, I don't know if you're gonna see a white light or a tunnel after you die, or if you'll see your own body as a floating above it, as some people have said happens. I don't know if your life is gonna flash before your eyes like a film reel, but what I do know, according to the things that God has revealed to us through the Bible, is that after you die, you will stand before god's judgment seat whether that's immediately after you die or sometime later that's debatable but the judgment of god is not paul says the bible makes it categorically clear that every knee will bow before the lord and every tongue will have to acknowledge him and therefore give an account of ourselves to god as our judge you know we don't always judge things correctly but god does We can't pass judgment on others correctly, and so we shouldn't do it, but God can and he will one day, including passing judgment on you and I. He is the master of justice, the Lord of the living and the dead, and only he is able to determine our eternal destiny. But remember the good news he doesn't judge us according to our own goodness or according to how religious we were he judges us on whether or not we accepted Jesus as our Lord and placed our faith in him to save us from our sins you see the judgment seat of God is not a place where our sins are the focus it's a place where Jesus is the focus judgment day is all about our faith or our lack of faith in who Jesus is and what he has done to set us free from the evil and the guilt in our lives. It's a place where God's mercy is heralded, Christ's sacrifice is honoured, and the Lord Jesus is finally acknowledged by everyone, whether as their merciful saviour or as their righteous judge. This is what happens when you die, according to the Bible. And we're going to be talking about heaven and hell over the next few weeks, but before you find yourself in either of those places you will find yourself standing before the Lord God Almighty, judge of all the peoples of the earth. Maybe you call yourself an atheist now, but you will have to acknowledge his existence when you meet your maker. Maybe you believe he exists, but so far you refuse to submit to his will for your life. Well, when you die, you will have to bend your knee in submission to him. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you spend much of your life looking down on others and criticizing them for not believing the same things that you do. You know, on that day, you will be fixed by the gaze of one who can look down on you and pronounce true judgment, not just on their actions, but on your arrogance, too. Or perhaps this morning you're listening and you have placed your faith and hope in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. If that's you know this, when you stand before God on judgment day, it won't be an occasion focused on your shame. It will be focused on the wondrous salvation of Jesus Christ, who you placed your faith in. Maybe you've been listening this morning and you wouldn't call yourself an atheist, but equally you can't say with confidence that God is definitely going to judge you as worthy of heaven. Maybe you've made some bad decisions in your life and you know that you have a lot to answer for. We all do. Every one of us is guilty of selfish choices and actions, but every one of us is still offered forgiveness and hope if we will place our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. Jesus is God's offer of salvation from our sins and their eternal consequences. God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins on our behalf. And if you will accept that Jesus' death on the cross was to pay the penalty for your sins, and if you will place your faith in him today to be your Lord and your Savior, you have nothing to fear when you stand before God on Judgment Day. He will declare you forgiven and set free by Jesus. He will accept you into his presence with love because of your faith in Jesus. This is the good news, the heart of the Christian message, and the real reason why we should live our lives differently today. Because what you believe about death and eternity will naturally determine how you live. If you live believing that you have to earn your way to heaven by what you do, You either live in denial because you are convinced you're a really good person and that your faults aren't that bad. Or you live in fear because you don't know if you're ever going to have done enough to satisfy God's demands. But when you live according to the Christian belief that you don't have to earn your way into God's good books. You live in gratitude to Jesus who did everything necessary for you to be accepted by God. There is freedom and peace in this way of living, a sense of trusting in God's faithfulness and love as they have been displayed in the life, the work, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, folks, Jesus is the issue of primary theological importance. Jesus is the one who helps us stand before God with confidence, despite our many flaws. Jesus is the lens through which we should view and value others and understand how we should treat them faith in Jesus is what unites us when we disagree on secondary issues Jesus is the reason we can learn to accept and love people who may think and act differently to us Jesus is the reason some of us eat meat and the reason some of us don't he's the reason some people devote time to God on a Saturday others on a Sunday and some every day jesus is the master of all christians the one we all serve and our hope in this life and into the beyond my question for you this morning is do you know him have you placed your faith in him as lord and savior of the living and of the dead have you asked him to forgive your sins do you believe that he will present you to god as one clothed in innocence that he's freely given you through his sacrificial death and resurrection to new life if so Live in response to this great hope and love your neighbor like he would have you love them without judgment or contempt for those who see things differently to you. If not, you may want to pray a prayer of repentance and trust today, asking him to forgive you for your sins on the basis of what he has done to present you faultless before the judgment seat of God. You can pray with me now and echo these sentiments in your heart and God will hear your prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, I confess my sins to you and I ask for you to forgive me. I place my trust in Jesus as my Savior and I ask you to transform me so that I become more like him. Help me to honor you with the rest of my life, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude for your great love for me, shown in Jesus. Amen. You know, in closing, I just want to say that there may be someone watching today who still has not surrendered their life into God's hand. And you are currently living as if there will be no consequences for your actions in this world. If that's you, I want to simply warn you that if you are not judged by your faith, you will be judged by God according to your actions and the time to turn your life over to him and trust in him is now, you know, when your life ends and you go into the beyond, Make no mistake, you will have to give an account of yourself to God. My prayer for you today is that you recognize what I have, that I am not good enough to warrant God's mercy. And I need to place my trust in his forgiveness and my life in his merciful hands before it's too late. And finally, if you're watching this and you've been the victim of someone's selfish actions, someone maybe who was never caught and never punished for what they did to you, know this. God will not let the sins of the unrepentant people go unpunished. He is a just judge, and he will not turn a blind eye to evil on the day of judgment. Pray for your enemies, that they might realize the evil that they've done, and that they might repent and turn to God for forgiveness. Don't hold on to anger in your heart, because it will do you no good. Place your trust in God to vindicate you and to leave the judgment in his hands. He will prove faithful in this life and into the beyond.